Introduce Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Black Flag Podcast. Joining me today is everyone. <laughs> <laughs> we got the great Will Bell, the great Derek, the great uh, Egg Benedict, and then we got Biblical Anarchy, Jacob Winograd, and we got Daniel Hansen, and we got my buddy Anarchist. Um, <laughs> What? Oh my gosh. Sam, you, can't, you can't do intros anymore. Sam's on. I'm fired. Yeah, you're fired from intros, bro. So, did anyone, did anyone follow that uh, Crowder ordeal that went on? Yeah. As little as possible. As little as possible? Yeah. Were you force fed that? Or, well, you're yeah. a big Crowder fan. What'd you think of all of that? I, I honestly, I mean, when it comes to like personal drama like that, it's kind of like I've never really cared about people's personal lives. It's, you know, that I think it's unfortunate that that got put out like it did. Um, I, uh, I actually just heard about it like uh, in the last hour before the show started. So uh, so I didn't get to like look at the whole thing. But I just think like any time it has to do with personal, it just it gets really dicey when you start making headlines out of it. And it's like he's going through a divorce. I mean, that sucks. What, what do you, what do you think about like get him getting a divorce in the sense of you know like is that I mean conservatives make a big deal if you get a divorce does that yeah. lower your perspective of him or anything? Uh man, that's a really that's a really good question. I I've thought about that a lot since he talked about it on Tuesday, I think, and it's I mean it's really interesting because obviously he is somebody who's always uh, um, held fast to that conservative, uh, traditional, um, you know, get married, raise a family. And so it definitely goes against um, the values um, on, on principle. But at the same time, I, I feel like I understand. I've known people and I've known people who similar situations have happened to them and they've had no say. I mean, if your spouse decides they want something else and there's uh, basic and the laws allow for it, there's not a lot you can do. And I mean, I've seen I've seen it, and with uh, with friends, and so I, I probably have uh, a little bit more of a nuanced uh, perspective than some people. But I think that I don't know. I think it's probably uh, it probably shouldn't really affect how we view him as a public figure. I don't know. I think personal things like that just get that gets dicey. So Jacob, like, what do you think of? Biblically, you know, the biblical law that was in the Old Testament, they were pretty strict about marriage and whatnot. Do you think um, like the United States should emulate that in any way? Um, no, no. <laughs> I mean, you know, what, so the Bible says that what, what God has brought together, let no man separate. But I, I don't believe that God actually brought the United States together. I think uh, so. It, there, there is no you know, principle that it can't be separated, um, so to speak. So I don't think that would hold. I also completely disagree regarding Stephen Crowder. I think he's a piece of shit. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And because, because it's that, that, that divorce was not just in the same way that if, a, if America had a national divorce, it's not like a, uh, uh, you know, it wouldn't be out of the blue. I mean, it, just from that clip alone and just the other dramas that have happened with Crowder, he seems to be a very volatile person who, uh, and, and very toxic and, and verbally abusive. So I mean, and and it's and if you're a conservative pundit and you're and you 
make a living trying to, to push those values and you also talk about being a Christian, believing in God and believing in the Bible and then you treat, I mean, like his wife, like then that clip, his his pregnant wife, he's like, go put, like, like you're like berating her about going and uh, giving, I guess, like this medicine or something to like the dogs that's like, you know, would be harmful for a pregnant woman. It's like, I mean, just be a freaking man and do it yourself. Like, fuck. I mean, it's just... Watching that whole thing, I mean, I didn't have, I was, I, I liked Crowder years ago, and I, I never, you know, cared too much the, about the drama between him and the Daily Wire and whatnot. But that whole thing, just yeah, no, I'm sorry, I'm, I think he has lost credibility in the eyes of many, and rightfully so. What's Go up, ahead, buddy? buddy. <laughs> has, has it been addressed why they only have one car? Yeah, that's, that's also, what I thought. That's also very <laughs> weird. But it, but honestly, it's not that weird when you consider the patterns of uh, like abusive spouses, like who who like to control their wives, you know. Or it can go the other way too. You know what I mean? So it's not it's not even a sexist thing. Like it's for the environment. Of, <laughs> I know, I know that was plenty men, loud, Bennett. <laughs> I know I know plenty of of men. Who have been in abusive relationships with their with their wives? <laughs> it, it can go both ways for sure. Um, did you know them? Did you know them in the biblical sense? <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> <laughs> so I I would push back a little bit. I would just say, I mean, from that clip, we really don't know. Um, he came out today and said that was an edited clip, and it doesn't show all the context. And that he's filed a motion with the courts to be able to talk about everything publicly, and that he'll discuss everything publicly. So there's, I, I'm not, I'm not saying that that makes everything okay, but there's obviously more to the story. There's um, there is no context in in my. So, uh, 10 years of a marriage where I've ever talked to my wife like that. So I haven't seen pregnant. the video. There's no, in... There is no context so that can I, make I... that at all acceptable, especially while your wife is pregnant. I mean, listen, yeah. I've had fights with my wife. We've had, we've had our share of, you know, ups and downs. But... Did you hit her? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I've never chastised my wife and told her, you need to learn discipline and respect, young lady. Yeah. Like, that was really weird. Well, what bothered me, you know, if if they're going through a divorce, they're just heated and they're saying, you know, we don't know what she said before that or like after that. So you, I can understand that he's just lashing out in a lot of ways, but I will say like you can never tell your wife you don't love her. Like that that to me is like, well, I would say more so he's initiating the divorce if you're telling her you don't love her. He's exhibiting clear, like very obvious, um, like manipulative, controlling behavior, like like not wanting to let his wife go and leave and go to the store, and just the way he went about it. I mean, it's just I'm sorry. There's no, there there's I mean, other than like the the, the only explanation that could come out would be that it was like some masked for masterfully edited deep fake or something. And other than that, there's really no context that can make it better. Yeah, I've never, I don't need context. Like he said to his wife, I'm going to fuck you up. Like, yeah, there's no, I don't know. Like, oh, I didn't see that part. <laughs> yeah. I, so, I mean, maybe like whisper in your ear at pillow time, but like, I don't even <laughs> think that, like, that still sounds scary, especially for a meat and potatoes person like me. But I, yeah, I don't, I'm just so happy that, like, so, much like that, um, 
what was that like? Uh, was it in Texas where like the 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 libertarian guy and his wheelchair girlfriend or whatever in the riots? He got killed and the driver. Oh, it's what, coming back to me a little bit, but I remember yeah. the story, but I don't remember the. Yeah, it it split the libertarians a lot, and like it, it was just like much like with Stephen Crowder's just whole career and this little thing. I'm just so glad that I've just not cared and stayed and not chosen a side and just, you know, went, Oh, I, I don't even care. Like yeah, I I, I'm trying, I'm like, I don't want to pay attention to the Steven Crowder thing, but I also just want to pay attention He's, enough to figure out what the psyop is here. Well, dude, it's beautiful watching, you know, conservatives go after each other. I mean, I, that's my favorite part. What are you going to say, Jacob? Well, I mean, like I, I care in so far as I feel like, just people like Steven Crowder have an audience of young men paying attention to them. And if he is a fraud, it's useful to be able to point out the, the ways in which he is a fraud and to try to point young men towards better role models and figures. And, you know, I think, I think Steven Crowder, the comedian is funny and I can still appreciate his humor and I'm not trying to say that there's no path to redemption for him or anything like that as a Christian, as a, you know, the, the biblical anarchist here. You know, I, I believe in all that. Um, and I think my, you know, my prayer is that, you know, he seeks help for his issues and that there's a path to reconciliation for him and his spouse. I, I think that, you know, that, you know, I think nations should get divorced <laughs> and we should have decentralization. But I do think, you know, marriage, uh, I mean, I don't want the state to tell people they can't get divorced, but I think, you know, culturally it should be something that is shamed. Um, although I understand like if he was, if he was that verbally abusive and threatening physical abuse and he was physically abusive, then yeah, I think at the very least, you know, I'm not saying there's no hope in that situation, but you kind of have to remove someone from that situation to keep them from being abused before there can be any hope for some kind of healing to happen. So, Yeah. yeah. That's my take. It's it's just, it's just, I, I, I worry that uh, people are being overly dismissive of it because they just, they value his conservative input, like his, his voice in the movement. But I mean, I, I also, I just think he's overrated on that stuff too. Like there are better, you know, they, like there are issues with someone like Jordan Peterson, but I think Jordan Peterson's a much better. Like, if I was going to point young men in, in a direction, I'd point them to Jordan Peterson a million times before I ever pointed them to someone like Stephen. So Peterson. you said that you guys said that Jordan Peterson, uh, or that you said that Crowder had an issue with Daily Wire. I don't really follow all this stuff. I'm not familiar with that. But then you mentioned Jordan Peterson, and he ju- he's on the Daily Wire now. So I, I'm curious because you'd think that. Crowder was more conservatively like vocal. He would fit the Daily Wire better, in my opinion, than Jordan Peterson. Yeah, I, I didn't think that Peterson was a good fit for the Daily Wire. Although I understand, I think he did it mostly for the uh, ability to to do more projects and have a, like the Daily Wire has a big team of producers and uh, editors and things like that. And so, uh, by the way, one of you's got like, really bad feedback right now. Yeah, yeah, we gotta, we gotta. Find I think it. it's, I think it's Will, me. Yeah, just mute and see what happens. Yeah, it's Will. Wow, mute. you sound perfect now, Will. <laughs> I'm, I'm unmuted now. Oh, like, I'm unmuted. 
it stopped. You just got to mute yourself every five minutes for a second. Maybe you just, maybe you just have to, con- to keep talking. I, that, that's been going on for a little bit, and I've been muting myself in and out trying to figure out if it was me. So I, I don't That know. is weird. Well, while Brandon Hansen just joined or came here, I was thinking maybe, Derek, you could lead us in some prayer. Sure. Is Brandon there? He is. I'll even make room for him. Oh, stick around. Oh, he's just popping off. He's just going into. The... I'll leave and make room for him. He's <laughs> physically there. <laughs> oh, that's funny. You guys want to do a tradition or a scripted prayer, or just something more? Well, wait, just I, go is, it, go. is everyone religious here? Like every, all of y'all. Well, then it's in the in the you're religious, but not like not in the sense that. What are you talking about? Not in the sense that. I don't know that, this Bennett person you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just uh, dox him? I said benefit. Am I the only hedonist? Benefit. Thing? benefit. <laughs> That's what I'm not a, you have no clue. Why <laughs> <laughs> you to come to mass the other night? <laughs> you also criticize me for doing Catholic confirmation. <laughs> only because you don't believe in the Eucharist. Did this become a conservative podcast? What happened? This is black. I thought we were anarchists and we were waving guns. <laughs> Will <laughs> don't, don't wave your gun. Don't wave the gun. We're not getting banned. Don't wave the gun. <laughs> Will, what's your perspective on marriage since Derek's too chicken to pray? No, I'll pray. I'm just curious if you guys wanted to do one where we all prayed together that we all knew. We could just do the Our Father. Sure. Let's do it together. We all know it. Um, all right. Who brought us here together? Our Father, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, I think I liked your prayer. Though. I'm so disappointed. Your prayer was pretty good. <laughs> what, we, don't, we don't finish with the traditional melting in the background. <laughs> so, if you don't know, we were just talking about what kind of what the Bible has to say about marriage, and then trying to relate it to politics and Stephen Crowder. I don't know. Like Jordan Peterson got brought up, and like I'm just gonna speak from like my. I saw that one <clears throat> recording of his like thing where it was him and his wife kind of like doing a show. <coughs> to me, it sounds like he's got a lot of underlying marriage issues that are like, <laughs> like fighting on like passive aggressively through the whole thing. Well, and I saw him live. So Beth and I went to see him live and Sam, you were there too um, in a different role, but we went to see him live and Same vibe. I had Andy, my buddy, Andy, went as well like and there's other people i knew that when a bunch of people went they were not necessarily together but they all went and it was ironic that it was b- before my wife and i got married we were engaged we didn't know what the topic was he was just going to talk about his new book and the whole speech was about dating and like coupleships and relationships and stuff right and his wife opened for him and then he went on and then afterwards they sat together and answered questions from the crowd and it was actually like it was actually like really good. 
Like they were, they were talking about the issues that they had together, but they were like talking about how they work through them. So it was, I don't know if maybe he was just in a weird funk, but I also feel like, so when I first saw, this is kind of going back to when I first, when I first Jeez, saw, stop it. <laughs> when I first saw that, uh, that Jordan Peterson was joining the daily wire, um, my immediate reaction wasn't excitement. It was fear. So I went, I was like, I am worried because he is put, he's been pushing back on the left since I first stumbled upon him years ago. And I was like, I hope that he's not moving into the tyrannical right. I was like, if he's hanging out with all of those guys, they they talk a lot about like the state enforcing values. Mm. And so I was just hoping that when he moved, when he, when he started working there, I was like, now he's going to be surrounded by people talking like that. And that no matter no matter how strong your fortitude is on something like when you're surrounded by fairly intelligent, I mean we can debate about whether or not Matt Walsh is intelligent, but when you're surrounded by fairly intelligent people that have po uh, political opinions like that, it's going to be difficult to resist that influence. Yeah, I mean I think it's been a mixed bag his time there. Uh, I I think he's actually not moved too far like towards the reactionary right-wing stuff as he could have when he joined when it comes to like the culture war stuff he's definitely got a, he's gotten i don't know like on some things he's been good related to foreign policy like he's really good on russia and ukraine but then he's had like some really just god-awful takes on like iran and uh and, and some other things as well so i don't know i mean he, he should really just stay in his lane he's not a foreign policy guy he's not scott horton um you know and he he's he's at his best when he's relating religion to culture and talking about psychology and Jungian ar archetypes and things like that so i think he's you know i mean I, and the reason i brought him up was i was like you know uh i don't think jordan peterson's perfect i, I have mm. complaints about him i have disagreements with him but i would point someone to him way before i pointed them to uh, Steven Crowder was my only point. And I, I don't, I, every interaction I've seen between him and his wife has been, I, I think normal. Um, I don't know how many of us here are married, but I mean, I mean, if you're, if you're in a marriage and in a good one, you know, it's not, you know, you, like a marriage should not be contentious to the point where you're like both, like you know, where one or both of you is like abusing one another, but you also, a good, a good marriage doesn't mean tranquility or like, passiveness like you know your your partner should be someone who challenges you um and 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 you know that can sometimes be contentious and that can sometimes you know mean that you you do have you know issues that you have to work through i mean it's naive to think you're going to get married to someone spend 50 60 years with each other and not have difficult times and ups and downs but you know marriage is much more about the commitment to work through those times and to grow with each other uh, through all those different phases. And it seems like, you know, Jordan and his wife have done a good job of that. Well, we actually took something from his speech and integrated into our wedding ceremony. So a lot of times you'll see they'll have like, like they'll do, people do like they dump sand together or they do paintings together or they light a candle together or whatever. There's like a little side ceremony during the ceremony. You know what I'm talking about? The unity ceremony. Yeah. And so like his, we took one from his that he... And we, I didn't really look, I tried to find the actual like 
culture that he was referencing, but he went to some wedding where he saw two people were holding a candle above their head and making a commitment that they were both committed to the light above them, which represented Christ. And so it was like they were committed to each other, but more importantly committed to Christ above them, like symbolically. So we kind of integrated that into our, our wedding ceremony where we put a candle above and we put our hands on there. And then I took something that he had written and copy pasted it and then like edited the crap out of it until <laughs> more like my more from me. And it was more directly biblical instead of just symbolically biblical because his was kind of explaining the symbolism of it. And I made mine more like, you know, Christ and Yeshua and using those kinds of terms like that throughout it. And I thought that was kind of a cool, a cool spiel that he went on where you have to have a guiding light and a principle above each other so that, you know, one person serves one person or one person submits to the other. There's these like kind of perspectives on all that. But his point was that if you put Christ above that, then you're both seeking towards the same thing. And I think that things work out that way. Oh, man, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we need to we need to hear from our uh, our our resident um, heathen. He's been, he's been uh, very I'm, quiet. I'm sitting there going, "Why? Why am I here, fellas?" <laughs> You're supposed to be our Reddit atheist. We need to have a Reddit. We got a Lutheran here, and then what's your? Jacob, yeah, I want to you... hear. I want to hear Will's opinion. Well, Sam, you can ask your question, but I want to hear Will's opinion on 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 marriage um, and what he thinks of, especially of, of like Christian and biblical um, principles relating to well, marriage. Jacob or Will's Will's kind of like when you're watching like CNN and they have like the token Republican that they can all gang up on. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I thought you were going to say that's like, exactly what it is. <laughs> so wait, 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 wait. Will is our Megan McCain, and this is if we were the View. Yeah. Our yeah. <laughs> <laughs> goal to make her is our goal to make Will cry by the end of this episode, so we can. Uh, Screenshot that and share it all over and Twitter. Like, Yo, Will Hill, Satan. Come on. We do need a, <laughs> like, a crying Will uh, meme. It just depends on if we get to that third bottle of wine or not. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. local We've, never hit that. We've hit the two bottle, and that was a mistake. <laughs> well, this might be a this might be a two bottle episode for you. <laughs> he starts like carving a pentagram in his chest. <laughs> I about did when y'all were praying. I, 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 I almost went into some sort of satanic. Does anyone here know Latin? We can start. We can start reciting the Latin mass. Maybe Will will start like. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what you asking about the like, like my opinion on like when you say like Christian principles in reference to like marriage? What you? Yeah, the that? idea that like I mean, are, do you think? Like, what do you think marriage should be? And what do you think about people divorcing and whatnot? And what do you think of the Christian perspective, which is generally that, like, frowns upon divorce and thinks that it's either, like, some, like, you have a spectrum, right? Like, some Christians are, like, no divorce ever. And they're even to the point, like, if someone's abusing the spouse, they're like, no, you can't leave your spouse. And I don't agree with that. You know, I'm on probably the softer end of things where it's like, I, I think sometimes divorce is like a necessary evil but it i think it should be culturally uh you know stigmatized to a point where it's like you should be careful about who you get married to and you know 
fight as much as you can to make that marriage work. So that's that's what I think based on what the Bible says. But you know, I want to hear what your perspective is on marriage and what the yeah. biblical view of marriage is. I mean, I think marriage can be a beautiful thing. You know, I think when two people want to like you know merge their lives together, it, it's kind of like what most people kind of strive to to find. You know what I mean? Like finding life, but. I, I do like when we get into this conservative kind of Christian thinking of just, I, I don't know. I mean, like obviously like people, it, it shouldn't be willy nilly. Like you just are able to unite your lives and in, in and out. But it, it, I think it kind of works best there when it's like, you need to prove your love to each other and kind of maintain that. And when, when things go awry, sometimes it's you know best for people to separate their lives. Now, when you bring children into it, becomes like it becomes harder. But um, I I think society's for the best when people have like their options to like come and go as they please in relationships like a marriage. Uh, obviously, the goal is always to like you know find somebody and and be there forever. But you never know you know what life's gonna swing at you and stuff. Do you think so, polygamous so marriages are on the same in that you, contract? You, you, <laughs> that's a good that's a good question to bring in the, the libertarian contract uh it's like yeah the principles here. of contracts <laughs> and you know you need to have an exit clause in there if <laughs> clawback yeah. claw clause clawback, you know you now owe me fourteen thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> we should we should hear from Brandon, I don't know if you got any thoughts on marriage and oh boy. Well, first of all, I apologize for showing yeah, up here late. On... No, no, it's an anarchist <laughs> podcast. It's, it's totally normal. Oh, it's totally normal to show up late. Well, it, is, yeah. it was not my intention to disrespect all your guys' time like that. But um shoot, I mean, I kind of missed out on the first part of this, so I don't really know where you guys have been going with we it. We haven't been wherever you're going wherever I'm going <laughs> about regarding marriage. In well, a, let's put it this way. How does the biblical marriage and the political marriage, like are, are those different or should they be different? Or I mean, you look at the old Testament that if you got a divorce, it was just once. And, you know, I, I know like people like Steven Crowder say, well, it should be illegal to have divorces and stuff like that. He says it should be illegal. He seems to imply that. Okay. Interesting. Really? <laughs> well, that's that's really interesting considering the recent news. But well, th th he always says, "Well, she wants to divorce me, and it's not against the law. Like the law doesn't stop her from doing that." So yeah. I, I feel like that's what he's hinting towards is there should be law. And I've heard this before. Someone said uh, if it was easy to legally get a divorce, she would have gotten a divorce before, and she's glad she didn't because she's still married. Which I thought was okay. really weird, but sure. I mean. Uh, yeah, from a Judeo-Christian perspective anyway, um, marriage has, uh, you know, it's been there since the beginning, um, talks about it in scripture, Christ references back to, uh, the man becoming one with the woman, uh, two shall become one, stuff like that. Um, from, from my perspective, it is. It is both a societal thing, uh, a political thing, because we live in uh, society. Uh, 
should the two be separate, I think that Christian marriage should be considered something different than the license that you sign. I don't think that, you know, I, I've married people without a license before. It's perfectly legal. They don't require a license for two people to say, hey, outside of the government and their oversight, we're going to, you know, sign a private contract and we don't want the government involved. Fine. I'll do that. In fact, I prefer it that way because um, as a Lutheran pastor, I don't want to have to be held accountable to marry certain types of, you know, uh, relationships, if you would. It just goes against my my beliefs. And so I don't, it's, it's like offering services. I don't offer services freely. Um, so anyway. Are you, are you alluding to gay marriage? I would be alluding to that uh, amongst others. Yeah. What else would you be alluding? What else are you? Polygamy? Uh, there's, there's a number of uh, things that have, yeah, it's, I mean, do you want me to get into it? Is that what you're asking me to? Part of email marriage in the terms of like this private contract setting up like an LLC. Yeah, you know, just <laughs> Beth and I seriously <laughs> contemplated not not doing it like with a legal license. Yeah, and we just we just came to the conclusion that it's like by to- the time we figure out all the details with a lawyer to what it would be, it's like it's like. A, it's just like the last hurdle is just having it acknowledged by the state. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, and I don't really care about that, but it was almost just like, that's only because there is like the societal like things like the tax side of yeah. it. The, well, the like succession of death stuff, life insurance, you can have any medical decisions, certain things like that. It's, um, that society created under that. Hey Bennett, what is up with your guys's audio? That it's making a bunch of weird noises over there, and you just cut out and got soft. Really? Hmm, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Is it? Is Broke it back now? Is yeah. it good now? It's good now. Huh. Yeah, but now we hear the the background uh, room noise. But it oh, it is what it is. Like okay, so they got ringing. It's like you're in a coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now it sounds better. Probably muted. Um, so let me ask you guys this. <laughs> what so since you know both Brandon and Jacob are here, um, I don't know if you guys' opinions are the same, but what do you think the role do you think you can be a biblical anarchist? And so Jacob kind of explain how you can be an anarchist and why you think it's biblical, and then then maybe talk to Brandon. Okay, well, I can try to do this quickly. I mean, it's it's not like it wouldn't be best explained usually in like a, a, a quick answer, but I think the the basic summary is that the Bible teaches certain things about government and authority, and I do think that if we take all those things and we try to apply them consistently, you know, with Scripture and the example that Christ gave us, that we essentially have views that God God has prescribed civil authorities to administer civil justice, but that those civil authorities are necessarily, that their authority is necessarily limited, and that they cannot use that authority to tyrannize people who are not violating the rights of others. And so essentially... 
that leads to libertarianism and i think anarchism is the consistent uh expression or form of libertarianism but but basically that those who serve in the role of government have the same rights as those that they are governing and so they cannot they cannot obtain their authority through coercion or through the initiation of force and if we are doing a critical analysis of the state both philosophically and politically and also biblically because i think there's a lot of biblical support for this as well the state is fundamentally an entity of coercion that derives its authority not through legitimate market you know voluntary or biblical means but through uh violence and and the threat of violence and also i think that to add a biblical element into this there is a lot of evidence in the bible for the state for the kingdoms of man being both idolatrous and under the influence and control to some degree at least of satan so that's kind of the summary I've, version we can definitely go into different parts of that you know if you want but i i, I don't want to you know ramble on for too long so i think that's a good good summary well and i think i think marriage is actually the one of the greatest examples of explaining it of explaining the state's illegitimacy to people it's like this is something that this is something that was happening before states before the way that we think of governments nowadays ever existed people were committing themselves to each other um before their community um training with, each other for like livestock <laughs> and <laughs> before the uh well and i can get into some of those old traditional things too that are that are often seen as like i could go off about that stuff that are often seen as like alliances set they're seen as like sexist and using women and all that stuff it's like there's a lot of stuff that go that goes back there that's actually you, you could argue because we're ignorant and we just assume it's bad but you could actually argue hypothetically how it was protect protecting women also like gave women a certain amount of power that mm. only a woman I could have I would I would actually go further than that, Derek, and I would say that it's it's more than hypothetical. Uh, when you look at the ancient world, it was very barbaric before before the uh, uh, implementation of the Torah, uh, the the five uh, first books, of, um, the Bible. Before the implementation of the Torah, the ancient world was very brutal. So all the laws, like we often look like an eye for an eye, and we think, well, that's brutal. Well, in the ancient world, somebody takes out your eye and you kill them. You know, somebody well, kills like, your family, you take out their entire family. Yeah, exactly. Somebody kills your brother, you kill their family, you kill the whole well, tribe. And so it was putting a maximum like... it was putting maximum punishments. It was right. it was saying barbarity needs to be ended. We're going to go to a civilized society. Exactly. I will I will add to that and say too, like people have brought up to me like there's a there's a section where it talks about um stoning a woman, right? And people are like Oh, this is so barbaric. The Bible says that it's okay to stone a woman. And it's like, what they were doing was they were adding a rule saying you have to have witnesses. Was it a right. Light? Prior to same. that, there was, yeah, it was a light stoning. It was a light stoning. Yeah. <laughs> that's the same. That's the I same had to go with to like 30 stoning. minutes of Taliban school to learn how to light stone. Oh there's actually <laughs> no, there's no historical evidence that a stoning has ever taken place in Jewish history. I'll, that that is a that is a um, a notable fact about that. So that was implemented as the maximum punishment, but there's no historical 
uh, fact well, that that ever took place. And my um, point is at the time, at the time that was progressive, quote unquote, it was like, hey, exactly. we should we should make sure that if we're going to kill a woman, that there's a witness. It wasn't saying, oh, hey, we're going to kill women now. It was like we were already doing that. We're actually going to make a rule that says there should be a witness. So it's like, I think when people look at the like the Old Testament, they think, oh, that's so barbaric. It's like, yeah, but compared the, to we the don't, times now. Let's hey, we, don't barbarians. <laughs> we don't expect the, the Bible to just be progressive or even better than well, this is, you know, previous times. We so, expect the Bible to be the absolute truth. So I mean, maybe the Brandon, stoning, I agree with Daniel on like not having any like record of a stoning, but like the nature of like the kind of execution that a stoning would be to me seems like just something a mob of angry people would do and it so wouldn't Bible, be like, it wouldn't be like the gov like whoever's in charge like okay we're gonna come out here at three o'clock right and stone yeah, yeah, yeah. An, an important yeah. element Except of this the, the torah actually put in very strict rules so it wasn't a mob that was the point you had to go before right. the high priest and you had to right. present your case with a witness and so therefore all of a sudden all these illegal stonings had to end because now you had an arbiter of justice Right, and so and, it, it was—it actually instituted justice. Well, right, okay. and, and I insofar give as there a are... chance, sorry, I want to give Brandon a chance to jump in here for a bit. So, what do you think the role? Well, you can add on to that, but also just what do you think the role of politics in the Bible? Can we have biblical anarchy? Well, um, the the concept of biblical anarchy is a little new to me. I, I must admit. Um, I've probably known about it for a year and I've only been looking into it for about a month. So uh, I'm not going to say I don't have opinions about it, but I would say I've got more questions than I feel like uh, I, I would. Uh, it would be irresponsible of me to weigh in right now and say, thus saith the Lord, here are the scripture passages because... Um, uh, I've listened to quite a bit, I've read a bit, and I've still got questions. It seems a little uh, unclear. Now, your uh, your explanation here just uh, a few minutes ago there um, was pretty good. I thought that was really good for a two-and-a-half or three-minute explanation. Excellent. Um, you kind of hit all the things that all at once there in a 30,000-foot overview. Um, so... I, I do have questions. I don't know if that's if this is the show to jump into them regarding particular passages that uh, you know. Yeah, so I don't. Do I don't know if we. I don't know if we want to dive we into do. a particular <laughs> passage. It's a Bible podcast. Okay. Go for it. All right. Yeah. So um, of interest to me, in particular, are the uh, the interpretations of uh, a couple different passages here. <laughs> is one of them Romans thirteen? Yeah, it is Romans 13. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> yeah. Look at my avatar. Look, look. He's got a but my road or but my uh, Romans 13. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Instead of my roads, it's my Romans 13. So I think too, like uh, I think too, like if if we're gonna kind of go into this, because I think a lot of us have probably thought yeah. about this extensively. I'm Catholic, I don't look at the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> I actually signed up. I, actually signed I was gonna up. say Derek, that guy yesterday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Daniel was with me. We signed up a guy who was Catholic, an old guy, and yeah. he was he was like, "Well, I'm Catholic, so I never really read the Bible." So I'm, 
So I'm watching this show called The Chosen. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> instead of instead of reading the Bible, he's like, I'm gonna watch this show before I go to Jerusalem. He was genuinely he's like, that way it's gonna be more meaningful for me. <laughs> oh. Oh, I saw the, the filming. I saw like this behind the scenes filming the water walking on water scene the other day. Uh huh. Looks pretty good. Nice. All right, yeah, I got Revenge I don't... 13 pulled up if we want to go into it. We know. Right. We know. <laughs> we totally are. <laughs> I'm fucking wrong. Well, so, I mean, my big question is... Well, like, the Romans I... were a culture from approximately, like, you know, 300 BC <laughs> to 600 BC. Wait, wait, they weren't... I thought they were Ro- Romans. Like, they were, like, like boat... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have you ever... Uh... Wait, wait, wait. Okay, so... Let me just my... up the speed a little bit. Have you ever heard of Derek Chauvin? Picture like 20,000 of those. And then you got the Romans. Yeah. <laughs> it was like basically Daniel, the Nazis at the Holocaust happened. Yeah. I'll give you that one, Derek. Thanks, buddy. What, did Jesus say, I cannot breathe on the cross? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We got our, more than you did blasphemy. Did Jesus, you don't... You are not fulfilling your duty, Will, so I have to step in. <laughs> y'all hit me. Y'all put me in a fucking different vibration when y'all hit me with the prayer in the beginning of this. All right, all right. It was to the spaghetti monster, Will. It's okay. Okay. All right, we can go on. Can't, the spaghetti monster can't hurt you, Will. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Um, well, let me just throw my perspective out. It's like, the Bible, I mean, they specifically, at one point, God installed a king. So we know God, like, believes in government. I know it, was, it, it wasn't his first idea, but even before then, they had judges. Or just a king but, said that. He's like, no, God made me king, and he makes me a better king. Well, and we have the law and the, the, the gospel, and, like, all of the laws, you know, it's, it's not, uh, it's, it you know it is the law. It's the physical law of what people had to do, especially in the Old Testament. So, like I think a lot of conservatives think, well, that's kind of how America should be. We should have a lot of those same laws. And even if you read the New Testament, so so is the question that you're trying to get to with Brandon here is the question that you're trying to get him to answer. I guess to to make it more of a a pointed question is, um, should libertarian principles or can libertarian principles and biblical morality um basically be played out in society without government enforcement or do or is your question that or should we have the government enforce biblical morals is that kind of what you're getting at because i guess your question seems kind of vague when you're to me when you're asking that is my question yes well i think part of the problem here is uh not oh my god, that's part of the problem. I gotta, I gotta get that phrase out of my vernacular. But uh, the 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 issue is that I think there's a conflation between government and the state, and we we sometimes use those terms synonymously. Yeah. And I don't think that's helpful. Yeah. I understand why colloquially or just semantically sometimes we do that. You know, it's kind of like when we refer to the government as like we or us, and I try to get out of doing that as much as I can too, because you know I don't believe in that ma- ma- mantra that we are the government. But yeah, I think that, you know, government or governance or governing, you know, like that, that is like a, a function. It's like a service, you know, it's a role that people can fill in a society. 
I think the state is a form of government, but it's not necessarily the only form of government governments or oh my god governance that can exist True. so you know i think that's an important thing to to, to throw out there as well because i mean and, and that's going to play into romans 13 because romans 13 starts out by saying let every person be subject to the governing authorities and in the greek it's the uh the higher powers or the it's the uh the hyper uh acousia, if i'm remembering correctly so yes, David Brady, we're doing Romans thirteen. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you know when when God and we have to read this in context, right? Because when the book of Romans was written, it was a letter, and they didn't have the chapter subdivisions. So we have to understand, like you know, where Paul is at in the letter. Well, right before this section, we call Romans thirteen. There's a Romans twelve ends with Paul sort of echoing Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount saying that, you know, do not return evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. And he says, do not seek uh, vengeance against the, wrong, the, the one who wrongs you, for the Lord says, you know, vengeance belongs to me. Now, the way Paul writes in all of his writings, and a lot, a lot of times in Romans, is that, like, he'll say something, and then he sort of, like, predicts what the objections are going to be to what he's saying and then answers objections or questions that are going to be raised. So mm -hmm. a natural question that's going to be raised sort of like in Romans, the end of Romans 12 is like, well, hold on. So you're saying that when people persecute us, when people do evil against us, we're not to resist them. We're not to fight back. We're supposed to overcome evil with good. What does that look like? You know, if vengeance belongs to God, you know, are we supposed to just let evil people run amok and just do whatever they want and just roll over and live in a lawless society. And so Paul's like, well, no, 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 we, we uh, everyone should be subject to the governing authorities for says that, you know, there is no authority except that which comes from God and that people in authority have been instituted by God. We have to then, you know, understand what the biblical view of authority is and authority comes in different forms right like you know within marriage and a family unit you have different overlaying levels of authority you know like my wife has a level of authority into my life and i have a level of authority over her life we have authority over our kids so you know th those are types of authority there's also authority that exists within a church so like my my pastor has a a measure of authority over over my life and my family's life and over the, the you know, the functions of the church. Uh, teachers have authority to a certain extent over their students. Uh, a, an employer or an owner of a business has authority over his employees and, and those he, you know, has contracted. But in all of these different examples, those authorities are necessarily limited and they're limited multidimensionally. They're, they're limited in terms of their power and they're limited in terms of their scope. So there's this idea, and it actually comes, um, I think it's biblical, but it, the, the label for this idea comes from the Dutch reformers, and it's uh, the idea of sphere sovereignty. And it's the idea that, you know, authority exists in these different spheres, and that it's a, a, a violation of those authorities if, you, if they go into areas that are not for them, that have not been delegated to God for them. So uh, an example that I like to use is that, Let's say, you know, uh, a teacher has been delegated some measure of authority over a student, right? And it can be like, well, I'm going to assign homework to you. I'm going to say you have to take a test. I'm going to say you need to be 
you know, show up to class on time. But the minute that teacher tries to enter into the sphere that belongs to like parents and says, oh, you need to go to bed at nine o'clock. Oh, you need to brush your teeth four times a day. Oh, you can't eat pizza anymore. Or you can't watch this kind of movie. That is a uh, abuse of authority on the part of the teacher. And so that's a type of violation of authority that's like, you know, going into areas that you've not been delegated, that your authority has not been, you know, prescribed to go into. And then there's, of course, you know, a violation of authority or a or abuse of authority when it comes to like, you know, just actual like abuse or, or tyranny. You know, if you initiate force against someone who is peaceful based on that authority, like my pastor has authority over me in terms of like, just that normal relationship that uh, that that exists within a church, but like you know, if my pastor were to come in to strike me, that wouldn't be justified just because he has a position of authority over me. Or like I have authority over my wife. You know, this relates back to the conversation about Crowder earlier. But that authority doesn't grant me the right to abuse her. Or uh, you know, I don't believe we have the right to abuse our kids just because we have authority over them. So. Understanding what biblical authority is is necessary for reading something like Romans 13, because, yes, there are people who are supposed to exercise and administer civil governance. Like we like the Bible believes and we believe I think even libertarians, we believe in rules. We believe that we believe in property rights. We believe that if you violate someone's property rights, meaning like if you, you know, uh, violate their self-ownership by aggressing against them or you uh you know, violate contract or you steal or you commit fraud or you violate property rights to, to any degree, that there, there needs to be some kind of response to that to rectify that situation. We don't want people just running around violating each other's rights. So that's what Paul's talking about here. But what he's saying is that, A, you shouldn't take, like, personal vengeance into your own hands. So what he's saying is, like, listen, if someone wrongs you, don't like seek revenge against them. Don't go burn down their house. Don't go, you know, try to, you don't live eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Forgive them, show them mercy. And then these kind of problems should get sorted out by like a third party arbiter, you know, those who are acting in the role of civil governance to solve the, the problem if, it, if it's a problem that needs to, to be arbitrated in some way. Um, and okay, so one, one, one final thing here, one of the most important lines in this section, Romans 13, is in verse 3, where it says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. You cannot really make that apply to the state, both historically and just on, on like a political uh, analysis of what the state is fundamentally and philosophically speaking, the state exists by violating property rights and every state that exists is a terror to people doing good. I mean, even the Roman government was a terror to the early church and to Christians. Like two years after Paul writes this, he's in jail. <laughs> so, um, we had, think so I think he was that's not a, referring to the Roman government when he no, wrote this. No, I think to, to, to summarize, I think that Romans 13 is not describing the Roman government. I think Romans 13 is prescribing the godly norms, the biblical norms for civil governance. 
and for mm-hmm. those who are going to administer civil justice. And now, insofar as if there were times that the Roman government would fulfill that godly ordinance, and like, let's say, like, you know, a, a Roman government officer, uh, like, caught a thief and made him pay restitution, that he would be completely in line with the text of Romans 13 and with what the Bible teaches about government and, and civil justice. But yeah. but when they're doing other things like um, initiating, you know, coercive taxation or they are, uh, you know, persecuting Christians for worshiping God, they are clearly not, you know, and I think most Christians, even non-Christian anarchists would hopefully agree that, like, we're not, we're not, if, 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 you know, the SS comes and tells us that we need to round up the Jews to get sent to the concentration camps, we don't have to listen to that. And so we already know that there, you know, that there is a, an area where civil authorities go too far. And biblical anarchy or Christian anarchism is essentially saying that if we take biblical principles consistently if we say it's wrong you know if it's wrong to steal and it's wrong to murder there's nowhere in the bible that it says well unless you're a cop (laughs) or unless you're a governor or unless you're a king it's like nowhere in the bible does it say suddenly it's okay for those people to initiate force against others and nowhere in the bible does it say that we should um, that that authority from the old testament like just like god tell them like hey go slaughter that other tribe they're worshiping some calf he, or he, there, there's a there's a lot that would we'd have to go into i mean for one there is a sort of like ecclesiastical um no, sorry there's a eschatological intrusion um that that happens during the conquest of canaan um but that is necessarily ended like that was those were commands that were given to israel specifically in a limited time during that covenant and it wasn't like in a vacuum like the canaanite people were by all biblical and archaeological evidence like evil <laughs> like incredibly are, evil and so never... god, god was using Israel every man to... woman and child was evil if i remember right so, <laughs> so, so well it's, in, it's about, important well, to note like that five... israel never israel never actually uh went and killed every single man woman and child of the Canaanites. So, right. so about five minutes ago, I, I said I was going to chime in, and I, you said one more thing. So, um, <laughs> and then we so got I, Brandon chime in. <laughs> well, what ahead. I'm trying to do is because Jacob's going uh, super detailed into the philosophy of the libertarian argument from a biblical perspective, which I appreciate, and I think more people need to hear that. But I want I'm what I'm curious as like someone who's Brandon, who's like very. I'm assuming from what I've heard about you, very biblically based and understands the Bible very well and is new to these ideas, like given it, given it new to new to the application of the ideas. Right. Yeah. Um, kind of curious where you're coming from on this. What do you think about everything Jacob just said? And, and without us right. yeah. all like jumping in on him and being like, but this, but this. Yeah. So, so here's the thing guys. Um, I, uh, I think it's wise to avoid an argument, especially one that doesn't exist. So I'm just trying to figure out if there's even an argument here um, before I start to, you know, so, so that's why I'm, I'm asking questions because it'd just be a fruitless argument. We're all going to go home believing what we believe. And uh, 
but uh, I'd like to try to understand the position better. So specifically, like with except for Will, he doesn't believe in anything. <laughs> <laughs> with Romans thirteen, um, that's that's a good passage. So you you brought up a couple of things there. Uh, so back to um, what you'd asked me. What do I think as far as? Uh, and I'm sorry, I'm terrible with names. Um, Jacob. Jacob. Raise your hand, Jacob. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, so that's Jacob. <laughs> Jacob, hi, Jacob. <laughs> and then it's... Yeah. I'm Will. Will. Will, okay. Derek. And then it's... Eggs. Uh, eggs. Will, Derek, eggs? Yeah, like... like what I have for chicken, breakfast? Like okay, chicken nice. <laughs> like, like biblical eggs. Chicken <laughs> Chicken fetus. Chicken fetus. All right. So, um, Chicken everybody's favorite breakfast. Chicken abortion. Chicken abortions. Oh, man. Oh, <laughs> uh, so I, I, I'd say, like, I agree with probably about 99% of what you said there. And I'm just leaving the 1% here because there's some questions I've got. I'm not yeah. saying I disagree with you. Um, yeah, that's fair. But, uh, yeah, so there's there's Romans 13, and I think I think Romans 13 is fairly clear. But then you add in um, your other favorite passage, from what I understand, First uh, Peter two. Oh, First Peter two, which is that's kind of like an echoing of Romans 13. Kind of, kind of, but it's um it's it's from a different perspective, right? Because it says uh, it starts out with be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those, et cetera, et cetera, right? So there you've got something specific where Peter's referencing the emperor as supreme, or, or is there a different way to understand that from your perspective? Right. Well, it's important that he says, and I'd have to bring up the context of, of that passage again. I'm not as familiar with it because it does not come up as much as Romans 13. Mm-hmm. But there's also a, a so there's two two angles that need to be i think brought up here one is obviously there's a difference between being subject to and obedience to and i think as christians in a in a very broad sense and we see this in like passages like romans 12 we see this in sort of the example of jesus himself we're not called to be a like rebellious cantankerous uh you know ornery people you know we we are called to you know, kind of nobly bear our cross and our suffering and, and persecution. We're told that we're going to be persecuted for the sake of Christ. And so there are going to be a lot of times where we are in, in various forms, not even just from the state. It can be like, it can be persecution from the state, it can be persecution in the workplace, you know, being mocked for our beliefs and our faith and things like that. Um, you know, we're by our peers. Yeah, which Will yeah. does. <laughs> so, uh, um, you know, so and and I think in all of those instances, um, like if we're in if we're in like a uh, I don't know, like a setting, like a human institution, um, regardless of what it is, we should be subject to them. But there's always, I think, inherently implied in in commands like that, the implication of like up until you are being called to disobey God. You know, obviously, like a good example of this is oh, yeah, for sure. um, th- a good example of this is actually what I named my old podcast after, which is like um, in Daniel chapter three, when Meshach, Radshach and Abednego, you know, they were they were in 
the moment that they were refusing to bow down and, and worship King Nebuchadnezzar, they were not obeying him, but they were being subject to him. Like, they weren't trying to, like, uh, violently resist what was going on, but they were right. saying, like, they were, listen, like, we will, like, you're going to throw us in this furnace? Okay. God can save us, or he won't, but we cannot worship anyone but God. And I think that is, you know, the at the heart of what's going on. There's a little bit of that in Romans 13, but I think Romans 13 has other elements at play as well. I think yeah. the first Peter passage so is... I just is, want to jump in here quick. I, I'm sorry to cut you off, but... Sure. Um, more questions. Um, just so, just so you know, um, I have the benefit of of having gone through these these arguments um, extensively. Uh, so there's the so once you touch on something like that, I don't mean to be rude, but I'm going to interrupt and ask a question that comes back to mind. Um, Please, no, that's fine. Honor, honor the emperor there in First Peter two fourteen. So we're talking about. I agree. I agree completely there with you. Like, um, we're to be subject, and I think that I would agree with your your definition of that. That doesn't mean that we're to, you know, obey every little jot and tittle from the uh, the king's pen or whatever. Um, but uh, there, there, there's an extreme that we can go to with that where we kind of make this distinction and then we just leave it hanging there. Like, therefore, anarchy, right? It's kind of how I feel the argument is made. It doesn't, it doesn't really address, okay, what about obedience? And when Peter specifically says, honor the emperor, which we know, uh, honor and obedience, uh, there's a strong correlation between those. You can't have honor without at, at some level, some form of obedience. Uh, Paul makes this connection when he recites um, the commandment to honor your father and your mother, only he says uh, obey as well. So there's this connection between obedience and honor that I don't think, um, I mean, unless, unless you'd go there, I don't think well, that me, uh, we can completely the... get away from there's some level of obedience right or isn't well, there sure well, if, the, if the obedience if the obedience doesn't require you to disobey god or to yes. or to participate in some sort of sin i think that should but be the given. empire is not an anti anarchist state so the empire could command you to do things that are not unbiblical but they are not anarchist well, right so wanna... you could be you could be subject to okay so i think i was going to back up at one point too when you're talking to um Brandon, you said something at the beginning, back at the beginning of your first explanation, Jacob, that I wanted to, I think most of the people who listen to us probably understand this concept, but like if you're in and people who are thoughtful anarchists, right? As I would say, most of us here are thoughtful anarchists understand that there are going to be governing bodies. It's not like there's not going to be something yeah. going on that's governing. Sure. Things. Yeah, right. But I think I think Brandon's pointing out that it specifically calls out to honor the emperor here, um, because like in Romans thirteen, it's it's vague about it just says governing yeah. authority. Empire is here not self governance. But what my but to 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 the point that we were just making now, bring it up here is what to what Sam's saying is the 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 governing body, whether it's an emperor or or just a vault like a community agrees that this is our governing body could 
either way could subject you to do something involuntary. Like this is not of your own volition, but it's technically not a sin either. Right. So sure, how, sure. Do, how do we work out those kinds of details and semantics? Like practice. Sure I get the question. So for example, <laughs> well, like I'll answer the question. I think that we use wisdom in those cases. We have Christian freedom there to obey or to disobey. We know that uh, if it's not a sin, uh, but it violates my personal liberty, well, you know, it's like, I don't want to get up into the, the weeds too much, but take, for example, there's some people that'll say, oh, uh, you know, it's, it's not actually, that the government is not justified in requiring me to have a driver's license and insurance in order to operate a motor vehicle. Okay, but is it worth that battle? You're gonna go down that, you're gonna go down that road and you're going to refuse to get a license, you're gonna to refuse to right. get insurance. Hey, if, you, if that's your prerogative, or that is your prerogative, if, if that's what you wanna do, do it. But is the battle and the ensuing fight that you're going to have gonna be worth it? Right, I would like, say from a Christian- you, you could be like, Hold up, wait, real quick. You could be like me and avoid getting tags on your license plate for two years, <laughs> then get pulled over repeatedly, then have your four-year-old in your car while you're both crying because you went through a family tragedy, and then meet uh, eye contact with the police officer that's, that pulled you over three days ago, and then have her flip a Yui, and then you're hiding behind a dumpster in your car with your four-year-old <laughs> asking you, Daddy, are we hiding from the cops? And I go, yes, while I'm purchasing registration on my phone. It's crazy. Some, the same uh, thing happened to my dad the other day. Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> First of all, we, we need to shout out David Brady's comment, uh, which is the the, the uh, from the Libertarian Convention when they were debating driver's licenses. What's next? A license to make toast in your own damn toaster? Yeah, I love yeah. that. Uh, great reference. Um, no, so I think um, the driver's license thing is actually a good example here. That That's an area where, yeah, I think Christians, we would be called to be subject to the state in that instance, because even if I was going to could make an argument that the state is uh, like overreaching in terms of what their authority is and what they should be mm -hmm. dealing with, that doesn't mean that like they're not asking us to do anything sinful in that instance. And I think that we are actually potentially harming our witness if we are to pick that battle to die on. And actually, like if we read kind of this whole section here in in First Peter two. I think it actually clears some of this up. So it says, be subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor so everyone... Obeying the state is good. Well, in certain contexts. In are certain contexts. Sam, mm. are y'all taking notes? Derek, too, are y'all taking notes? It's like, this is, are you, have I been tricked into a Bible study? Welcome. I've got a question. I, I just didn't want to well, like hey, jump I'm gonna, in. I'm so. going to administer. Well, let me, let me, let me finish here. this. So. You just prepare your heart for that, Will. Okay. Yeah. No! <laughs> let, 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 me, let me finish the last two lines quick. It says, uh, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, 
fear God, honor the emperor. So that's important there. It says honor the emperor, but fear God. And then mm-hmm. it goes on to talk about servants being subject to their masters, which is something Jesus also said. So I think there's a, a lot of elements to this first Peter uh, passage that are like what I already said, which is about like um, what we do when we are being persecuted <laughs> or we are um, maybe in a unfair, unbalanced relationship and how we're supposed to respond to that. You know, we're called above, as Christians, first and foremost, to always do good. And that is part of how we overcome oppression, how we overcome injustice, and how we serve as a witness for the gospel to those around us is to do good. Think about um, uh, Joseph when he was sold into slavery by his brothers. He did good in that situation, and because so— uh, was eventually put in a situation where the, he was able to save Egypt and his entire family. And he could have decided to be a victim. He could have decided to, like, rebel against his slave master and, uh, you know, be someone who was difficult to deal with and just, you know, could have been, like, from a very human sense, justified in being angry and, like, self-righteous and, like, this isn't fair. And I'm sure he had moments of that, but for the most part, what we are told in the biblical passage of what Joseph uh, dealt with um, in in all those times is that he decided to honor God and to do good in the situation he was in, even when it was unfair, and that God rewarded him for that. So I think, you know, a lot of these passages are, you know, they're, they're dealing with a lot of different themes at once. And so we have to be careful, I think, to not conflate the biblical command for what we do in the face of persecution with what the Bible teaches about governing uh, structures and and what legitimate authority looks like. You know, those are not, mm-hmm. I mean, they're not completely unrelated, but we also have to, you know, make them distinct to, to some extent. And I think the, the heart of the first Peter passage is, you know, mostly that, you know, again, an echoing of, that sort of like Christian mentality, you know, of not trying to again, like what what did what did Jesus rebuke Peter for in the garden? Let um, me just uh, interject off. real quick, the you know, and, and make a a very short, like you know, statement that won't uh, be confused with something that late makes like five minutes long or something. Um, what if it was? How do we know that there wasn't a comma and that they were talking about? Like honor, you know, honor the emperor being Satan, comma, fear God. <laughs> That's a very good question, Bennett. Grammatical questions, from actually, unironically, un- there are um, many times in the Old and New Testament where Satan is referred to as the ruler of this world, and that's done by in the New Testament, Jesus and John and. I think Paul and James too all have, in different ways refer to Satan as the ruler of this world. So there's, there's actually yeah, I mean, there's something to that. <laughs> but, I, yeah, yeah. It's not it's not it's not outside the realm of possibilities. Um, highly improbable. I would just say to that point, uh, probably because the people at the time uh, who were the direct re- recipients of these uh, uh, epistles, these letters. Uh, that's how they understood them. By by far and by large, the way that we understand the scriptures today comes from them, directly from them. So we're not just reading these uh, first century documents and going, well, based on my 21st century Western 
uh, worldview, I think these mean such and such, which is also, you know, one of the reasons why we want to jump back into the Greek, but also read the early Christians on why, you know, what they thought of the passages themselves, how they understood yeah. them. So uh, to my knowledge, there's no early Christian that thought Peter was possibly talking about Satan in there at all. No, I, I would agree with that. But I just, yeah, <laughs> I was just kind of being like, unironically, like yeah. there are there are parts of the Bible that talk about the, uh, you know, rulers in the sense of being Satan or under the rule of Satan. But I don't think this passage. Oh, is, yeah. Not is to discount that. what you were saying at all, Jacob. Um, yeah. There is. No, that but I, I agree sure, with you. Sure. Yeah. You know, and I agree with you also just like we, we have to be and I, you know, I try to be careful in what I do. Um because I, what I don't want to do is eisegesis. I don't want to read from, you know, a, a <laughs> political... What? What? <laughs> oh I, I don't want to do... I, I don't want to read a uh, a modern political philosophy into the Bible. And I, I do want to be faithful to the text and, and be led by it, not by my own uh, preferences and ideologies. And mm. I think that... Um, I had a second point and I completely lost it. So you can, you, whoever wants to talk now can. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I did have another question. Um, you, I'm here's a here's a thing that I've real quick before you get started. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, guys, this has been fun. Um, I'm gonna have to pop off in just a minute. Uh, I think y'all are having a deep conversation that's extremely interesting. Uh, me as a shitlord, Reddit atheist, I just keep wanting to be, like interject with just like allegedly. <laughs> yeah, that kind of talk. But you know, the the main main thing me is this, you know, radical secularist or whatever is I applaud y'all for all your anarchism or your strive towards that goal or whatever. That's kind of like the whole thing that whether you're a atheist or Christian, Muslim, all that kind of stuff, if you embrace these kind of like ideas of like we don't have to use the state or some sort of force to push our ideas. We can all sit here and like get into, you know, how we see the universe and shit. I, I think it's cool, but I'm about to pop off guys. Um, I right. keep talking about Jesus and everything. Here's to the marketplace of uh, free ideas. Rock and roll brother. Yeah. Nice, <laughs> nice to meet you. And guys, uh, I'll so well. see y'all next time, fellas. Have a good night. Yeah, bros. Daniel, what were your thoughts on all this? Well, I so I just wanted to take it back to that uh, age-old question, of course, is what do you do when um, the state or the governing authorities are acting uh, against? Um, so they're so they're using the money that they're taking from uh, the people in taxation, and they're using that um, in ways that are sinful to fund abortion, to to fund. Um, I mean, endless wars. I mean, you can, you, you know, you can name it. There's the laundry list. So, so yeah. what, what's the response at, to that taxes? I know so, there's a passage yeah. directed towards our, our, it, but just be in the context of you, you talking about the state not being necessarily being the governing authority. So what would your answer be to that? Well, I mean, there, there's multiple levels to that. I mean, I think, you know, I think taxes are, a area where again it's kind of like christians would be called to be subject but it doesn't mean you know being subject to something doesn't mean that it's it's godly you know what i mean you can be subject to something that is is 
clearly a violation of what God's moral ordinances and decrees are, you know, in the same way, like when, you know, I think we would all agree as Christians uh, here that slavery is immoral and against what God's moral decrees are, but that, you know, there are many times where Jesus says, you know, you know, servants serve your masters well. And I know some of it was not slavery and some of it was indentured servitude, but you get my point. There's, there's always, I, I think that's a biblical principle we could agree on, that being subject to something doesn't necessarily mean that it is a, a biblical endorsement of the thing that you are called to be subject to, and that we've already agreed there are limitations to what being subject to that thing can, can mean. Um, as far as what we can, you know, I think there are ways you can be subject to something and also uh, work to change it, right? Like I, you know, as a, as a, this is why I'm involved in the Libertarian Party is because as a Christian, I know that, you know, uh, well, as a Christian, also as just someone who knows history, I know violent revolution just doesn't work and it isn't what the Bible teaches us to do. You know, we're called to transform the world around us primarily through spreading the gospel by being salt Red and light. Coat. Yeah. <laughs> and, I was going to uh, say, except for one, but only one. So that's not a good example to just take one out of history that we happen to have benefited from. We wrote the history book, so it's all good. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the American Revolution is a is a topic we'd have to do a whole other podcast on because I have sure. a nuanced view on that. Um, it, and it's definitely complicated. But you know, I, I, he's an immortal being. He could have let us know what that was like. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I think you know we can um, advocate against these things while being subject to them, and I think that's something we should absolutely do. You yep. know, I think we can we can advocate for defunding Planned Parenthood. You know, receive no tax dollars. I think we can advocate for, you know, no more, no no more of these senseless wars that waste both taxpayers' money and, more importantly, people's lives. You know, I think we can advocate that the state get entirely out of marriage, you know, and no longer have their fingers in, in that money pot, so to speak. So, you know, I think we that's I think that's the way that we should try to do it. You know, again, I think we should try to influence the world around us, you know, and, and also I think there's an element to insofar as people think that they need the state for like a social security net or welfare or things like that that, you know, Christians should also try to fight back against that and can fight back against taxation through decreasing the demand for those state services by, you know, doing the things Jesus told us to do. I mean, Jesus said that Indeed. which you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me, you know, caring for the, the poor, for the widow, for the orphan, you know, th that's yeah. true religion. And I think if we if we do a better job, I'm not saying the church doesn't do a good job of this, but this, the, the better we can do at that, you know, outward mission in our local communities and stuff, uh, and the more we can take care of one another, the, the, the less people are going to feel a need for, you know, this giant welfare state that requires a lot of tax dollars and money printing to, to create. Well, the irony of that, too, is that we would have more to provide people if they weren't taking so much. But if we defunded Planned Parenthood, where would I get free condoms and Plan B? From your local church. As a, as a, as a, as a, as a fake Catholic, I don't believe in condoms. So, Got another question for you. Um, so you've got, so, you, so here in jumping back and forth now, sorry to do this to you, but Romans 13, um, the one-two punch. 
Well, and, and so I'm, I'm trying to understand too, because so far, yeah, I, I don't know if there's, if I have an argument. Well, uh, I, I think maybe ultimately I have a problem with the the, the name, if I can right. say that much. It's right. kind of, it's kind of weird against rulers. Really? Yeah, you know, it's it, th that's a tough one. I mean, and it says right there in Romans 13, it uses the term rulers. It's and so almost actually... as bad as Lutheran. <laughs> you know, but when I when all of my beliefs suddenly lined up with uh, what the Lutheran Church was teaching, and I'm, I'm like, seriously though? No, there's got to be yeah. somebody else out there who had, you know, <laughs> teaches, believes, teaches, and confesses these things, and there wasn't. So I'm like, well, shoot, I guess I'm not. I've had so many political revelations like that too, where it's just like, you know, I first saw Secession, I was like, ah, I don't like that. And then you like <laughs> almost, almost as bad as the Lutherans, but way better than the Episcopalians. I'll tell you that. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm just saying. Like, a, I'm just saying the name. <laughs> I grew up in an Episcopalian church. Uh, I can tell you some stories. That explains. Well, it, was, I mean, it was a. Here's the funny. Thing, it was a charismatic Episcopalian church. So, <laughs> just. Let your imagination go wild with that one. The real so, reason I'm Lutheran is just because we have the best potluck. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, I like Lutheran it is services. True. It is true. Uh, I, I like the Lutheran liturgy and a lot of a lot of their tradition. They but, have uh, tradition. To go, yeah. Are you, to, are you Catholic to, though? No, I'm not. He's okay. a Calvinist, I, right? I'm, fake Catholic. I'm, Why I'm did you say mutt. fake Catholic? So. Yeah. I, I, uh, it's just like an old, like, social media Twitter joke. People, like, I had so many Catholics on my show, and I do have a deep appreciate. I'm like a, I'm a, I'm a Protestant who has a deep appreciation for Catholicism. Like, I try not yeah. to be anti Catholic, yeah. which That's just means that, like, right, exactly. You know what I mean? Same so you, you get it. You get it. I'm not against, I'm not against Roman Catholics. I'm just protesting what about, some what about, uh, excesses, right? Right. What about exactly. Jews? I'm just keep going. Oh my! <laughs> All right, so, so I don't even remember Brandon's question anymore. Oh, okay. rulers. So I think you know, uh, words have different you know like definitions or like different connotations depending on their use. Like so, there's the idea of like a ruler in a sense of like uh, someone who is uh, ruling over people, right? And then you have like. Uh -huh. A, a ruler like something to measure up against right and so yeah. you know i think you know and obviously i, I want to be clear here i don't think that paul or the people who were reading uh paul's letter were reading that and then said okay cool so we're anarchists now <laughs> you know what i mean like i don't think that thought really was entering their head so much and i think that so so when we're talking about the idea of rulers, I think that there there's obviously what we already talked about, which is like what we do in reverence to the state when we're submitting to it. But I think also, you know, authorities are in many ways a, a type of ruler, right? In a sense of like they are things that, that we measure up against. And yeah. so like they're, they're the ones who administer the rules. So rulers are in a sense biblical so then you go well anarchy means that the mantra is no rulers and that is technically true but the type of ruler that anarchy is really getting at is a tyrannical ruler and if we if we were to do a more textbook definition of anarchy it's not a rejection of authority it's not a rejection of hierarchy it's not a rejection of 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 law or governance 
it is rather a rejection of unjust or tyrannical authority, hierarchy, governance, etc. And it promotes what would be more like, and although this word has been kind of co-opted by the left, and so I, I don't like using it, but it's like an egalitarian hierarchy. And what I mean by that is not like that, because it's not like an equal, like we're not socialists, right? But what we believe is that there is an equality of rights in the hierarchy, which gets back to like where my my pastor has authority over me, but he can't initiate force against me, you know? And I think that, you know, those who are in governing authorities, right, those who are, who are administering, you know, they're, they're, you, have a, you have a third party arbiter who's dispute, who is helping to handle a dispute over property. They have authority to rule on that property dispute. But mm-hmm. what they don't have a right to do is obtain their authority through the initiation of force. Like, imagine uh, the difference between a church that is formed by people voluntarily in a community coming together and then looking around and going, okay, we need to either find someone who's qualified to be a pastor and invite them to come here or find the one amongst us who we think is the most qualified. And, you know, this person, you know, through voluntary market uh, mechanisms becomes the person in authority versus if someone came in and used varying forms of coercion or threats of violence to be like, you're all going to come to my church and you're all going to give me money. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's anarchy is a critique of sort of like the praxis of, of governments and not a rejection of governance. And, and to the last thing I'll say is your, your hang up with the word is well noted. And the reason I call myself a biblical anarchist is not because I'm wedded to the word, because I could also use the word voluntarist or just libertarian or or et cetera. There, there's two reasons I use it. One, because it's a little provocative. And so it's just a it's it's a good marketing ploy to be like like for me to call the podcast I do biblical polycentric governments is just a mouthful, not very catchy, right? So to say biblical anarchy, people are going to go like... So your very name is a lie. That's what you're trying to tell us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, biblical yeah, anarchy is like I people are going to go, wow, okay, that's interesting. I don't know what that means. I want to find out more. But the other mm-hmm. thing is like, I do want to be honest and I don't want to like shy away from what I believe. And it's the, the element of anarchy that says that there are no, there are none among us who have special rights that every that no person can own another person and, and no one has a claim to someone else's uh body or to their property and so like if it's wrong for me to murder it's wrong for again the, the doesn't become okay to murder just because you have a a, a badge that says you're a cop or uh, it doesn't become okay to steal just because you're a tax collector you know what i mean so th- it's that element of what i think and i think that these are principles that are biblical that i then go okay i think that libertarianism and specifically anarcho-capitalism is the political philosophy that is the most logically consistent to conclude based on biblical principles but if if i have a conversation with someone like you and you're like hey i agree with like all these principles i just don't like the word I'm not going to die on the hill of like, you know, no, you have to call yourself an anarchist or you're, <laughs> or you sure, know what sure, I mean? Like sure. it, it's, yeah. it, that's not, it's not about the, it's, it's more about the ideas than it is the label. Yeah. Um, 
So another question I had, and I've heard this come up before, and I heard you mention it earlier tonight, was um, legitimate authority. So yeah. I, I'll be honest, that's probably one of the biggest hangups I've got uh, with what, I, what I've learned so far about what we'll just refer to it as biblical anarchy. Here's, here's my problem with biblical anarchy, since you've uh, shared a little bit. I'll wax eloquent for a second here. Um, some people obviously probably run into this go anarchist chaos, you know, disorder. Mm -hmm. They, they automatically jump to that. Now I, I, I'm an etymologist. I, I linguist Latin. I understand. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But even for me, I jump immediately to and against ruler, uh, or our, Ruler. Rothbard so, <clears throat> referred to it as anarcho capitalist, if that helps you any. Not really. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, so even for me, it's like, okay, I know what it means. It just doesn't compute, especially when the word biblical is attached to it. Now, the way that you have explained it, I get that. I've done things for the, um, uh, Your business. For, for, for lack of a better term, the shock value of something like, hey, catch their attention, right? And then they, they yeah. look into it more. So I totally get that. Uh, one of the things that um, I just mentioned it earlier was legitimate authority. I guess here's, here's one of the issues I'd take with, uh, with that, which is where we're here in Romans 13. Does it say that? I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Verse one. Okay. Where he says, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Um, I guess the way that I understand that is whether this this ruler or this authority is using their their authority, their power, uh, for good or for evil, the authority itself comes from God. And... So I guess maybe you could explain to me what you mean by legitimate and and do you do you mean to suggest that there are authorities that are illegitimate in the sense that I and I'm jumping to conclusions here forgive me if I am uh if I'm misrepresenting the position at all I don't intend to but I'm asking questions it's an exploration so uh are you are you intending to suggest that by illegitimate you mean they're not actually from God Right. So this gets a little complex. Uh, there are, and I think you, you would probably, you, you probably heard this before. There are different, you know, I think that God has not competing in the sense of like they're, they are at odds with each other, but there's just, they're, they're at play at the same time. God has different decrees and wills that are at play. And so one of those decrees and wills is God's sovereign decree in the sense that like God is sovereign over all of creation and over all of history, everything that has happened, everything that will happen. And so things don't happen by accident. And so, you know, those who come into positions of power, they didn't do so. And God goes like, oh, wow, I wasn't expecting that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, God, God, you know, everything that, that happens, even the evil actions of men, God is sovereign over, and he is working all things to 
the counsel of his will for our good and to mm-hmm. his glory. And so that is not something that I could go against without going against a large portion of scripture. At the same time, then there's also God's moral decree. And so there is like what God uh, has prescribed to us as humans in terms of how we are to live and what is good and bad conduct. And so when I'm talking about legitimate authority, I am speaking more to the moral decrees of God and what, what is morally prescribed in the scriptures. Now, what you're getting at, which is a, 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 a fair objection, is if Romans 13 is prescribing uh, this, you know, everyone be subject to the governing authorities and there's no authority except from God, you know, am I saying that uh, those who rise to state authority uh, are not from God? And I think that, again, this comes down to how we read Romans 13. And so if we read it, like, again, in some, just kind of like going down through it here, it says that every person be subject to the governing authorities. Paul is kind of putting a caveat, like there's no authority except from God. This has existed and instituted by God. And whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. We've already agreed there are obvious limitations to that when it comes to the state. Yep. And then the third verse, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad, and that, you know, uh, these this authorities that God is talking about are his servant for your good. They're not a terror to those who do good, but rather to those who do evil. So mm-hmm. I think what Romans 13 is talking about here is not so much God is not so much Paul describing the state <laughs> what we would define the the state as um i think what what he is what is really the heart of what's being talked about here is the necessity for the role of civil governance and again i think that we have to we have to find you know we basically have to start by defining in Rome, the context of Romans thirteen what is the acousia what is the hyperacousia that Paul talks about at the beginning mm-hmm. and if if we insert that means the state the passage is now in conflict with itself and I think a lot of the other parts of the Bible um, if we just if it's about governments and authority more generalized and about civil governance and authority, then that reconciles the passage. And I think that also would work. And at the same time, we always have to recognize the interplay between, like I said at the beginning, God's sovereign decree and his moral decrees. And there are times, like we would not tell some, would we tell Oscar Schindler that you were rebelling against God when you were rescuing those Jews from, from the extermination camps. Like, I don't think, I don't think you would say that. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? So they're, they're the, the, uh, but you know, yeah. So, and, and that's, well, I want you to go and then I, we'll have Derek jump in too. But yeah, yeah I think, um, we just want to say that we didn't know his first name was Oscar. Who? Oscar Schindler. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but yeah. 
Yeah. So, so well, I, I haven't, think... I haven't heard you say explicitly that. Well, maybe, maybe you did mention it. Um, is is the state excluded from this? I think that the state. So, and to define and, the state, I think the yeah, state is a is a is a institution of people. That, you know, and and that these people in this institution, they seize seize authority through the claiming a monopoly via an the coercion and the threat of of initiate, initiatory force in a particular geographic area. So I think they are illegitimately claiming authority. Now, mm-hmm. once they have that authority even though that authority has been illegitimately claimed, they can sometimes use that authority in legitimate ways. Like, I, I'm, I'm not out there protesting when uh, police stop a mass shooter, although sometimes they are too cowardly to do so, but the ones who are doing their jobs and that have bravely gone into the, the, the fray to stop a mass shooter, you know, I, they are acting in ways that are uh legitimate exercises of authority or let's say um when a judge rules that uh someone has uh committed fraud or broken contract or stolen from someone and that they have to pay restitution to the person that they uh did that violation of property rights against that's a legitimate use of that authority so so there are i guess to 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 summarize there are legitimate and illegitimate ways to obtain authority. And then there are legitimate and illegitimate ways to use authority. And the state is a, is an institution that I think illegitimately obtains authority, but that can still sometimes use that authority in ways that, that would be morally legitimate. Well, let me ask you guys this. Should stoning be brought back? Uh, absolutely. I yes. would, I would say for pedophiles, <laughs> it, it could be brought back. Although I'm partial to the wood chipper method. Would, would, you, so, would you like stoning? Like stoning. The, yeah. What, what, uh, level of stoning would you, uh, prescribe? And as a libertarian, would it be just 42? I think medium. I think I medium think, rare. I think stone. 420. I think that stones in the, <laughs> medium rare 420. Medium I rare think 420. I think stones that are in like the five five six diameter <laughs> range would be uh, appropriate. There you go, oh, boys. At what at what point is it uh, like a, a boulder? So I think I, uh, I think that um, well, so I was. This is what's happening in the podcast is different than what I expected. It's kind of interesting to watch. Uh, Brandon's asking the questions and then Jacob's answering them thoroughly. And I, for, I, when I came in here, I was like, I want to pick Brandon's brain, but Brandon's fascinated with this explanation. You know what I mean? And he kind so, of prefaced that. I think it's because, you know, the relatively new application of these ideas as it relates to anarchy. Yep. yep. Uh, like we talked about his recent, like he recently just within the last month, if I remember correctly started looking into these applications of these ideas yeah so it makes sense yeah well then i I wanted to jump back to on something that was said earlier if you guys don't mind there was this thing with uh that that sam said so sam i find your little things that you're piping in every once in a while kind of interesting because you say them a little bit passively but i went down 
an ag agnostic atheist back to agnostic back to faith journey right mm -hmm. things that you're kind of implicating or the things that you're saying have deep uh atheist implications um and maybe you're not intending it that way but things for example being like you said something like you know but we're not saying that the bible blah 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 we're saying it's absolutely true or we're saying right well like, when you said the bible was progressive for its time it's like well that's not good enough like the bible has to be absolutely correct it's solo scriptura you know where my, what, what we base base our faith off of so you know it's not you know it, it should be the pinnacle of uh, uh, morality in the sense because it is the pinnacle of morality. But my question to you, Sam, is do, it, it has to be for what? It has to be for what? Because you said it has to be. But finish the sentence. It has to be it, in order for the faith to be logical. So it has to be. It has to be for the faith to be logical. Is what you're saying? Yeah, it has so, to be the it, truth. If so, it's not the truth, then it, you know, all bets are well, off. I think that I think that um, I believe, and this is contrary to popular opinion, but I actually think that um, the Bible and the history of it and the thinking behind it and all of that stuff actually wins in the in in the intellectual arena. And I think that popular belief is that no, actually, the reason and the logic of atheism wins in the electric in the uh, in the arena of like philosophy and intellect. I personally, I I personally have gone down that road far enough to where if you go down far enough, you just basically get into the roots of evolution, right? Like, cause you you that this is skipping a lot of the conversation to get there, right? But you get into the roots of evolution, and then once you follow that back up the ladder, Ching. you get, you get <laughs> come on, dude, hold it up. Sorry, we have a <laughs> we have, to, we have an, was, never mind. Never it's a mind. it's a it's a small. We're paying a small Asian person to hold this this entire time. But anyways, um, if you follow it, if you, you follow well, it, as long as the empire is okay with that, then it's difficult. As long as he's serving, faith is a gift, and Sam doesn't have it, so he's obviously going to hell. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, no, so, so I was predestined, so it doesn't really matter what I do. So, exactly, exactly. Hey guys, I I'm gonna have to go in like five minutes. So, um, oh, dang it, we so are getting go... on the top of the, yeah, <laughs> pop pop off whenever you need to, Jacob. Thanks for joining, and uh, I put links to your website below, and honestly, you can do your plugs quick if you want. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll hang around for a few more minutes. Um, you know, if if anyone had wanted to ask a couple last questions or comments, but uh, yeah, biblicalanarchypodcast.com. Follow me at Biblical Anarchy on Twitter, and the podcast is Biblical Anarchy Podcast. It's on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, bunch of random podcast apps that didn't know even existed, and and things like that. So, um, and I'm having, uh, well, not having because I don't do live anymore. So it's confusing. I used to do a live show, and now I don't. But I recorded an episode with Dave Smith, which will be airing next oh, Wednesday. Nice. So definitely oh, check cool. that out. Nice. You, you called him a coward, and it worked, right? No, worse. I called him Ben Shapiro. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the same difference. Yeah, I think it's worse. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Derek, I don't, I don't know where you were, uh, if you were done with your point or not. 
Oh no, it would it would take me it would take me forever to like to f- actually follow the train of thought all the way down and back up. But basically, saying that everything people look at the Bible and they say everything has to work out perfectly logically, um, or else none of it's true, right? And my there's I could go on and on about the arguments against that, but one of them is logic according to who to you. Yeah, I mean that's part you, of the problem like, is. That, that's the problem of, of reading the Bible in a 21st century lens and not understanding like, well, a lot of the literary styles and the understandings of history and science by the people who wrote the Bible, they didn't have the same, you know, worldview and, and styles of those things that, that we have. Um, I mean, for example, the book of Judges, among other books in the Bible, aren't always written in perfect chronological order in terms of the events that happened. Um, and, and so, you know, to us, you know, well, some people will make the counter argument be like, no, everything that is in the Bible must be strictly science. So, you know, that's how you get young earth creationists and they will, you know, so I've just opened up like 50 different cans of worms here, (laughs) but my point just being that, um, there are, you know, I think that we have to be careful to, because it's tough. Cause like, I, I believe in the infallibility of scripture i believe in the inerrancy of scripture but we also have to understand that like the bible is not like one book written by one author it's a it is god's word but it's god's word that came through uh different authors who wrote for different specific reasons in different contexts and in different literary forms so we have to you know that's why there's that's why you have hermeneutics and biblical exegesis, because um, you have to study the text in its original language, in its original context, and take all these things into consideration um, to, to try to get to the, the best understanding of what, what the, uh, the actual meaning of, of those texts are. And I think what the texts teach is inerrant. So that doesn't mean that the, you know, certain, like, you know, the details that might be like some people might go like well that's not scientifically true it's like well the bible is not teaching scientific truths as a primary uh thing so that's that's not a not a, not a good objection to the to the truth of the bible um the other thing to what sam was saying as far as like the bible needing to be the pinnacle of morality but then like uh so it's not good enough just to say that that this was progressive for the time um which kind of triggered me um because i think that it, you know, Jesus says that he got allowed divorce because of the wick- wickedness of our hearts. So I think it's clear that divorce isn't the obviously the only thing God must have allowed because of the wickedness of our hearts. There's a lot of things like slavery, like having to like, hey, I can't just tell these people don't keep slaves <coughs> and don't and don't stone people. He's like, I have to find creative ways to write the law to restrain the evil of these people and to uh, advance moral development in these people and to point and to also point them towards their eventual need for a savior because they can't live up to the law. And so there's a lot of things going on at, at play at once there, but one of them is God, you know, saying, saying that he has to write the law in a way that, that limits evil, but that obviously like he has to allow some of that evil to come through because he knows we're going to fall short. Interesting. Yeah. I never thought of it that way before. So do you think, 
you know, God's just being politically smart. He's no, he's not saying, you know, like uh, slavery is illegal because he knows if he says slavery is illegal, they'll still have slaves and they'll be treated even worse. So he's being uh, strategic and just saying yes. it's legal, but you have to treat them this certain way. Yeah, and he, he's he's creating the he's cre- God put in the Old Testament law and in the New Testament things about that that pertain to human dignity and about slavery that eventually led christian abolitionists to call for the end of slavery <laughs> so there are things in the bible that 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 lead to uh the opposition to slavery and it was yeah like the idea that slaves are people and you can't just kill them Don't or just beat thing. them arbitrarily and and heck there was even you know provisions in the old testament for the slaves and people's debts being wiped clean and being freed and stuff so there's a, there's a lot in there that um that you know that that goes that that your you know reddit atheist <laughs> will uh ignores <laughs> when they're talking about slavery in the bible uh, amongst other things that they consider to be barbaric it's like i mean it's it's barbaric from our 21st century point of view the fact that it was progressive for the time i think is evidence of its divine inspiration because well do you think there's a a hierarchy of uh morals that he prescribed so like if you say you know the golden rule plus slavery the golden rule outranks slavery and we can sort of use some of the more clear or, or avoid more more of the law and and follow more of the understanding that makes sense so well, i feel like you can look at the heart of the law you can understand that the law was written to the israelites who lived in a particular time and place and and it was written primarily for them and there's also divisions in the law you have ecclesiastical law ceremonial law civil laws uh, and then the moral laws the moral laws apply to us today as they did back then but the other ones although they might not apply to us there are lessons we can glean from them and they are certainly i think even in things that we you know i think the example that derek brought up earlier was was fantastic about um the uh the stoning and and how that was a that was an advancement in in like political structures you know what i mean that was like saying like hey um you know like that that leads that's kind of like a uh what's the word here like a uh a let me me foreshadowing of of like later where it says don't take vengeance into your own hands do you think there's some things lost in translation because you know the bible was written by people do you think god's speaking to the people and the people putting it out there do you think there is i don't that see like that's what makes me an inerrantist because uh, like that's one of the primary things that distinguishes biblical inerrancy from those who believe that the Bible is just divinely inspired but 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 fallible. I don't. I think that now. I think there's. I think that we are fallible, and so our interpretations of Scripture can fall short. And I think that there can be some things lost in translation in terms of, um, like translating it from Hebrew and Greek to English, and and just being you know, 2,000 or more years separated from the times that these were written. But I don't think that, like, they wrote things down wrong. Or at least to put it this way, we can track through history the uh, manuscripts that we have, and we'll see at times where people write things down wrong, but they're like 99%, like, they put a comma in a different place or they uh, misspelled something by accident, they smudged a word, or they said things... Or they wrote it in NIV instead of King James. Right, exactly. Um, or like, uh, like a common example is like, um, yeah. you know, like 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 you can 
the structure of sentences. It could be like, Sam and I went to town, or it could be like, uh, we went to town, Sam and I, you know what I mean? Like, it's the same thing, but said in different ways. So like, there, there's some people that go out there and go, there's like 500,000 different errors and contradictions in the Bible. And it's like, yeah, like 99.9% of them are just like little there's things never, like that. There's never been a book written by so many authors over such a different expanse of time in so many languages. The fact that it has as many correlations and things that affirm it is the is the crazy part it's not right. the, the part fact that, that there's oh, there's so many different like errors it's like the fact that it actually ties together in as many ways as it does is is insane it's like you can't ex like you could you could attempt to explain it without believing in divinity or a or some kind of spirit right but it does it but that argument wouldn't make sense you you also have more evidence the correlations for... and, and the way that it connects in different ways that's that's the that's the amazing part not it the amount can't of... just be amazing it has to be perfect but why is that though that's what i'm trying well, to get with you Sam, is like, what perfect, is it... perfect that would be the question because we you know and that's, perfect... that's one thing in the english language you know we look at the uh we look at for example greek uh where it says perfect when the perfect will come uh be perfect as your heavenly father or as your father in heaven is perfect uh the greek there is to telestai which means uh complete paid in right. full like right right so it's, it's like the same thing jesus says on the cross <laughs> so so complete could be very different from perfect in english uh yeah it's so do you think that um god speaking to humans and humans writing it down that we are reading a human book in that sense so, like, are we reading the human translation of what God said to someone, or is it God speaking through humans? It'd be very similar to, uh, well, I, I'd say it's, it is the word of God, right? And the word became flesh, and he walked amongst us. <laughs> He's man, 100% man, 100% uh, divine. So he has the human nature, the divine nature, uh, not half and half, but fully God, fully man. In the same way, the Bible is a fully human uh, in, uh, uh, it's, it's been authored by fully human authors who are fully inspired by God and and I don't know how all that works I'm still trying to work out how Jesus was both God sure. and man but uh, that, that's what I think of it. it's like it's yes <laughs> yeah both that, in with it in with an under right I gotta, I gotta probably I appreciate gotta interject with a with a with where I get fascinated with the Catholic faith and some of the things that drew me to that is they accepted... I got to actually interact. Or, no, keep going. You got, a, you got an erection? What? <laughs> <laughs> I meant to say interject, and I was just going to say Man. something dumb. Banana. Anyway, go, Derek. Um, I think we're along <laughs> with two hours in. Maybe I, could, maybe I could finish a sentence. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> um, Zero chance. Sam just um, ends the stream right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to pay extra apparently, if it goes over two hours. So. And because Forrest mommy just opened another beer. Okay, we got to go another. All right, we got to keep going. We got to keep going. So for uh, the sparklers. Yeah, for the sparklers. For the sparklers. <laughs> so uh, I thought it was. A, I thought it was like a bottle rocket. That doesn't matter. Yeah. All right. Well, everyone, thank you for joining. The Black Flag Podcast. <laughs> we are ending it, and we will see you again 
on the other side. 